And good evening, everybody, and welcome to a brand new edition of This Week in Appa. Hi, everybody. I'm your host, John Aslan. Not only is it a brand new edition, but it is a brand new format that we are on. We are on a format uh, for the time being, and I think this is going to last for a while, called Anchor. I put out a little uh, preview uh, last week to let everybody know that we're switching from the Ustream uh, platform to this one. The great thing about this one is that it can be picked up on a number of different sites, including Spotify, uh, iTunes, uh, Google Play, a uh, bunch of them. In fact, I think that the preview I sent out was picked up by eight different servers, if you will. And so a lot more ways and a lot easier for folks out there to hear the podcast. Uh, they'll also be archived. You don't have to uh, uh, listen to it uh, within a week or it's going to go away. You can do it the same way we did it. All the shows will be archived and you can go back and catch your favorites or catch ones that you may have missed. But uh, uh, I'm pretty excited about it because I know we've been having some problems with Ustream and nothing uh, bad about Ustream. It's just that I, I think that uh, their platform was on a little different level than what we were on, and I think this is going to work out much better. Uh, I'm still learning the uh, the ins and outs of it, so uh, it may be a little difficult at the uh, outset, but I think it's going to go very, very well. We're going to put some segments in, and uh, uh, I, I can't wait. We're also going to have a point where uh, you can go to the Anchor site and while you're listening, send me a voicemail. Believe it or not, you can send a voicemail that I will be able to pick up. And then on the next podcast, talk about those uh, and possibly even play them uh, if you're making comments or asking questions or suggesting topics that we do. So uh, a whole lot of things that, that we can do uh, with this new platform called Anchor. So uh, basically, uh, I'll be putting out uh, the um, information on the Facebook page uh, uh, that we have for this week in APA. But I think we reach a lot of people uh, on the APA games and APA, uh, APA baseball uh, Facebook sites. And so there'll be a little link there that you can click onto, and then you can find out everything you need to know. You can go to your favorite listening site, whether it be Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, uh, a number of other ones out there. I'll kind of go through some of those uh, as we move along as well. Uh, so that's great news. I'm sorry that it's been a while since I have been uh, on the air with a podcast, but we were trying to sort this all out. My goal was to get it done before the end of the month. And by God, I got it done uh, is here we are on February 26th. Uh, did an interview uh, a little over a week ago uh, with uh, a friend of ours uh, from the APA community, Don Zaminda. Don uh, not only uh, has experience in the APA community, he wrote for the APA Journal, uh, did some articles for them back in the 80s, and uh, also uh, did some work with Stats Inc., uh, but he also uh, is uh, uh, is publishing a book about the life of Harry Carey, and we are going to talk to Don about all of those topics 
and uh, maybe a few other things along the way. So uh, thanks once again for for joining. We are going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to have my interview with Don Zaminda. Welcome to the Anchor Podcast of This Week in APA. We will be right back. everybody to this week in APA. My guest tonight, well, he's uh, an accomplished writer and author. Uh, he also uh, did some work at uh, Stats Inc. I know everybody's heard of that. Uh, and of course, he has an extensive history in the APA game community. My guest tonight is Don Zaminda. Don, thanks for being on the program. Thanks for taking some time on this week in APA. Great to be with you, John. Now, you're out in California, the beautiful uh, uh, state of uh, California. Uh, are you in L.A.? Uh, yes, I am, just outside of Santa Monica. See any stars? It's a rainy day in California. So <laughs> and it, here. it don't happen that much. You know that song said it never rains in Southern California. That's really not totally true. It's mostly true. It's <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is mostly true. Uh, have any star sightings as uh, as of late that uh, we can talk about? Yeah, build the interest. You know, not lately. I, I I used to be pretty good at this, but uh, <laughs> I really haven't seen any stars in a while. Oh well, when when you do, call call us back and we'll we'll we'll, we'll have a weekly update of the stars that Don Zamendes has run into. So <laughs> that's all. Yeah, I'm I, I'm actually going to a nice restaurant and. Santa Monica on the waterfront this evening, so maybe we'll see somebody there. Oh, well, listen. Well, be sure to let us know, and uh, we we won't we won't make you late for your dinner uh, appointment. So, well, let's get right to it. Uh, uh, first time you've been on the program, we always ask our our new guest how they got involved in APA, uh, how they were exposed to it. Give us your story. Well, you know, when I was growing up uh, in the Chicago area, I was always a very much a stat-oriented kid really from the time that I started following baseball. And uh, I used to see these articles, uh, ads in the Sporting News and in Baseball Digest for the Epa baseball game. Right. And uh, starting in the late 1950s, and I got interested in that. But actually the first game that I bought from Apple was the football game. Oh. And that was in the uh, summer of 1961. Okay. I saw an ad in the football magazine for the football game, and I figured I would try that and uh, loved the game. All right. I started playing it right away, and that Christmas I ordered the baseball game, got the baseball game for Christmas, and really got hooked on that completely, and that really dominated my, my life for years. <laughs> now, uh, you obviously had to be a football and baseball uh, fan to uh, to uh, pick out those games. Uh uh, were you a big sports kid? I know you said you like stats and, and things of that nature. Uh, did, did you follow all the major sports at that time? Yeah, I really did. Uh, my dad was a big baseball fan in particular, and that was one way that we bonded. Mm. He was a White Sox fan, uh, even though we lived on the north side of the city, ah. closer to Wrigley Field, and started going to White Sox games with him when I was six years old, and really was a big part of my childhood. And... As a kid, we always had a subscription to the Sporting News, and I would read those issues from cover to cover, 
I'll get Baseball Digest. I'll get all the baseball and football magazines that used to come out in the spring and in the fall. And, you know, just as much as I could absorb, I did. Mm-hmm. So, and, and you mentioned the stats part of it. And you know, a lot of guys that we've talked to, and I've said this over and over again, including myself, really learned math and math-related things by watching baseball games, figuring out baseball and base, uh, baseball batting averages, ERAs. Um, it sounds like you were you were more of the same. You were fascinated by the number side. And uh, when we talked earlier uh, on the phone, you mentioned, too, that the APA cards really spoke to you with all the numbers on them. Yeah, that's for sure. I mean, you could just look at an APA card and, and figure out what kind of player the person was. Mm-hmm. See all those 14s on Ted Williams' card along with the ones. and <laughs> right. You could tell that he, he was a home run hitter and, we had a lot of patience at the plate. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it, it, it's funny because back then, um, when you see the weekly stats and the daily stats, nobody kept track of things like batters, bases on balls. So nobody had much of an idea. For instance, Bill James mentioned this, that, that nobody had an idea that Mickey Mantle used to walk 120, 130 sure. times a year. Yeah. But if you played the epic game, you knew that. Yeah. Because you would see all the four teams on this card. Yeah. So sometimes that you know, eclipsed what you would read in the publications about how a player really, uh, uh, how he accomplished his feats on the field. Uh, again, more in detail. And certainly if you were familiar with the Apple cards, you could glean that from those cards. Um uh, let's talk about your your professional career. Talk a little bit about where you went to school and how you got involved uh, with Stats Inc. Well, I've had a very checkered career. <laughs> uh, I went to Northwestern yeah. uh, in the Chicago area in Evanston. Right. I got a degree in journalism. This was 1970 that I graduated. It was the era of the Vietnam War. I was very much a countercultural student, radical type of kid. Ah. Uh, not that interested in having a conventional job, but I had a degree in journalism, worked a little bit for suburban newspapers for a little while, mm-hmm. covering like city hall planning commission meetings, things like that. Right. Didn't really enjoy it that much. So uh, I opted out of the job that I had, figured I would get something better. And when nothing better came along, I took the civil service test for the post office and uh, became a postman and kept that job for 21 years. Wow. <laughs> and I, that was from 1921, 19, 1971 until 1992. But I was always still interested in both writing and sports during that time. Right. So in the late 1970s, uh, I started subscribing to the, to the APA publications. There were, there were two at the time. There was one called APA Innings. And there was another called the Epic Journal. Sure. And uh, I used to get both of them. And uh, one day I just decided to try to write an article for the Epic Journal, and I submitted it to the editor. And he liked it, and I said, would you like, to su- like me to submit more articles? And he thought it was great. with a guy named Tom Heiderscheid. Mm-hmm. So that kind of was the start of resuming my writing career and my entry into sports writing in a way. Right. At, at, that was a time when, when Apple was starting to reproduce old seasons, uh, starting with the 1949 season 
in the 1930 season and then working back. And then after that, they started doing reprints of the seasons that they had already done. At the time, it was very controversial because uh, there was a feeling in the Alpha community that when you brought those cards from the early sets that they had value and uh, people didn't want reprints because that would destroy the value for the uh, people that had the original cards. Yeah, I got you. But when they started doing uh, those reprint seasons and seasons of the past, I became the chief writer in writing articles about the season. Mm -hmm. So, for instance, when the 1922 season came out, I wrote an article for the journal about what was happening in baseball in 1922. And then I actually had a, a big access to sporting news years of the past. So I would type up key transactions for that season, for that season for people who did replays. Yeah. And yeah. those became pretty popular. Yeah. So that was really kind of the start of the resumption in my writing career. And, but the way that I really got into the stat side of it was through Bill James. Uh, when the Bill James Baseball Abstracts started coming out in the late 1970s, early 1980s, I loved those books. Mm -hmm. And I really got hooked on that stuff. And I was actually starting to keep some statistics on my own, just kind of rudimentary stuff, you know, like the value of... of, of what happened uh, to the first batter in inning? How often a run scored if the first batter yeah, of yeah, the inning right. got on base? That kind of stuff. And I, I used to listen and watch a lot of White Sox games, and I, I would keep stats. And uh, I put together some stuff, and I I sent it to Bill, and he liked it, and he, he used a couple of the studies that I did in his early baseball abstracts. And then when, when Bill started an organization called Baseball, it was called Project Score Sheet in the mid-1980s, and he was looking for a group of volunteers to keep score sheets of major league games, because at that point, nobody uh, outside of the Elias Sports Group really had access to play-by-play -play information. So if you wanted to keep track of things like batting with runners in scoring position, different kinds of clutch hitting stats, all kinds of home road sports and situational stats. Right. Really, Elias had that information locked down and nobody else could get it. Mm -hmm. And what Bill tried to do was, was gather some volunteers together to keep stuff and send it to him. And I became one of the original volunteers. Through that, I started working with John Dewan, who became the head of Project Score Sheet. And John was, was very interested in, in trying to use those statistics to uh, create some publications and basically make, make a business out of it. So I became John's chief writer. And then eventually John moved over from Project Scorsi, which was a volunteer nonprofit organization, to Stats Inc., which was a company that was already keeping stats on a much smaller level. Uh -huh. The idea there was to make a business out of it and, and become a career right. for John and for other people. I was one of the early volunteers. I worked part-time for Stats for a few years. And then eventually in the early 90s, the business had grown enough that John wanted to start a department of publications, and I became the publications director. We did books like the, the Bill James Handbook, which is actually still in print through yeah. John's new company, Stats Info Solutions. We did a book called The Baseball Scoreboard which was a book of questions and answers about different stuttering and kind of things. Mm -hmm. 
we did a book called the, the Scouting Notebook, which was a book that had a page on pretty much every major league regular with graphs and, and statistics and uh, some writing about the player's strengths and weaknesses. And that really became my full-time job. I left the post office in 92, right. and uh, that was what I did for a long time. Now, how I got into broadcasting um, was another interesting story. What happened was um, Stats was a private company, um, but the Fox Broadcasting Company's parent company, News Corp, was interested in buying the company because uh, they wanted to launch a website that was a, a sports oriented and they wanted to have a stats outlet to, to provide the numbers. Plus they wanted a company to do the research for the Fox Sports broadcast. So they actually bought our company and they asked me to become the director of, of research for their sports broadcast. And that was in 2000, and that's how I ended up out, out in L.A., because the, the Fox studios are in L.A., so yeah, right. uh, I started doing research and heading the research departments for all the Fox broadcasts. We had other clients like, like CBS, Turner. We had a lot of regional clients. Right. We did uh, a number of, of regional teams that were doing games, and... and uh, that became the job, really, for the rest of my full-time career. You know, that, I mean, that's a very interesting story because when you mentioned it, you worked for Stats, Inc., which is now, I think, Stats, LLC. Um, I, I kind of had those questions, too, because when it first started out and Bill James started with all the, basically, uh, the sabermetrics to part of the game, I was wondering, you know, if, if that, and I knew it was probably the birth of the stats during baseball broadcasts and really all sports broadcasts where you see those those crazy stats like you know the the white Sox are, are 20 and 3 this year on wednesday nights i mean you know the the fine details of, of which i'd love i mean a lot of people look at that and say who cares why is that so but those are are, are the nuances of baseball that i love but uh, you know when you started working for stats did you see that it was not just for the fans who, who were interested in that type of thing. Was there any interest in in uh, professional teams at that point to say, hey, maybe we should take a look at this? Because now a lot is about sabermetrics. Was anything done when you got into it, when it really was the beginnings of it? You know, it, it's interesting because it, it started very slowly. Um, it started slowly for a couple of reasons. One was that people had to have confidence that the numbers we were keeping were accurate. And there was also a lot of skepticism on the part of people as to whether this stuff was really useful. Yeah. But Stats was lucky because we got a couple teams pretty early on in the game. The White Sox were an early client of Stats, Inc. Mm. The Yankees uh, became an early client. And there were a few other teams. And it kind of grew from that. And what really helped... Uh, was that some of the teams that were clients of ours became very successful and people could start to see the value of the stats. Right. Another thing that we used to do back, back pretty early in the game was we started providing stats and breakdowns for arbitration cases. Wow. Back then, baseball arbitration was, was a much bigger deal than it is now. Mm. Nowadays, very few players go to arbitration. Right. And... Most of the teams just sell 
long before an arbitration hearing is even right. held. Right. But back then, the relationship between players and ownership was, was much more antagonistic. Yeah. And there are a lot of cases that went to arbitration, and um, Stats ended up working for the White Sox to provide statistical arguments for their cases against players. I remember one of them was, was Jack McDowell. Mm. Jack's agent was his brother. Yeah. And uh, uh, Jack, would, Jack would always lose his cases because <laughs> the White Sox had such good numbers that right. Jack's brother couldn't counter. And I, I remember at, at one point, uh, we, I sat in, a, in an arbitration case, and um, the other side was represented by Scott Boris. Oh, boy. Who had his who had his own numbers guy. Yeah. And uh, I'll tell you, the case, was, I actually sat in on, on the arbitration case from beginning to end, and, and it was like the shootout at the OK Corral. <laughs> you know, they were, Scott was, was, was shooting out some numbers, and then the White Sox would come back with theirs. And uh, I'm very proud to say that we won that case. <laughs> it was. It's like a couple of gunslingers uh, uh, going to battle. And, and it's interesting because, you know, really... You know, you can make a, a case that you can pretty much get anything you want out of a set of stats. I mean, really, really bad stats say you're really, really bad. Really, really good stats say you're good. But all the stats that fall in between, you can, it could go either way in a player's favor or disfavor. Yeah, it's true. And, and to some extent, I, I, I regret that. And even in the broadcasting work that I did, I mean, I knew that some of the numbers that I provided that the, the, the networks and stations were asking for didn't have a lot of meaning. Mm-hmm. You know, for instance, uh, how a guy has done in his last few games, you know, measuring hat streaks, it doesn't really mean a whole lot, particularly in things like you get into the postseason and, and, you know, somebody's, you know, 12 for his last 33. Yeah. That's a meaningless number, but... They want to shoot it up to give them something to talk about, and, and uh, you know we provided it. Uh, but but some of the other things really do have meaning, and uh, you know I think that it's it's added to people's understanding of the game. Yeah. And if you look at baseball today versus the way baseball was in the early 1980s when we started this business, mm-hmm. everybody has a, has a analytical department oh, now. Yeah. No. Question. And. Really, the, the teams that are most devoted to analytics are teams that are enormously successful. Right. Uh, just off the top of my head, you got the Red Sox, you got the Astros, you got the Dodgers, yeah. you got the Athletics, you got the Cubs, you got teams that are in the postseason year after year. Yeah. And they're all very dedicated to keeping good numbers and, and you know getting value out of them. Well, it's true, and it's not only in the professional game, but a lot of colleges have gone to it. My brother's head baseball coach at a Division One college, and he is a full-time analytical guy that travels with the team and charts where the ball, where balls are hit, charts pitches, where that pitcher is the most success. So it has trickled down to the college game, and probably at some point will trickle into high school. And, and probably already is there in some respects. So this is really, really caught fire, and and I don't think we're going to see the end of it very soon. No, not at all. Yeah, not at all. I mean, it. it you know, in, when we started in the business, 
one thing that really helped get it going was we started at the same time that PCs, personal computers, mm, right. began hitting the market. Right. And that became the way that we were able to, to keep statistics and, and generate a lot of the numbers. And really, it all took off for that. But I, I'll tell you, it, it, you know, just in mind with the idea of, of teams acting in on this kind of stuff, mm-hmm. I've had a few people who worked for us at Stats who ended up working for professional sports teams. Mm-hmm. I had a guy who worked for me uh, in our department in L.A. who ended up becoming the assistant general manager of the Houston Rockets uh-huh. in the NBA. Uh-huh, yeah. I- that is Don Zaminda, and that is the first part of our interview with Don. Very interesting so far. And we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we are going to continue our discussion with Mr. Zaminda, and we're going to talk about his upcoming book about the broadcast legend, Harry Carey. So stick around. You're listening to This Week in APA, and we'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody, to This Week in APA. I'm your host, John Aslan. Hope you uh, enjoyed the first half of our interview with Don Zaminda. Uh, second half of this interview, we're going to talk to Don about his writing uh, with Sabre, uh, an organization that uh, monitors and uh, uh, puts out baseball research. I use Sabre a lot in my 1964 APA replay, and and uh, Don's going to talk a little bit about that, and then he's going to talk about his new book coming out, uh, the book about uh, Harry Carey and his uh, uh, broadcasting uh, from the beginning uh, all the way up through the Chicago White Sox and Chicago Cubs era. So uh, more to come. So right now we'll go right back to my interview with Don Zaminda. Um how you know? I, I found out about you when John mentioned your name. I it somehow rang a bell in my head, and then I realized that you did some writing for for Saber, the Society for American Baseball Research. Because um, in my replays, I go and look at, at players' biographies, and you've written a lot of those biographies. Talk about how you got involved with Saber. You know, I, I've been a Saber member since 1979. So yeah. <laughs> it's 40 years this year. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it, it's a big organization, you know, five, six hundred people. Yeah. And some are statisticians, some are historians. There are people who are interested in things like biographical information, like birth dates and de- death dates and where people are buried, mm-hmm. things like that. But the historical part of the organization was what interested me most. Right. And about oh, 10, 15 years ago, Saber started a project called the Bio Project. And the idea was to get a written full life biography of as many people who played Major League Baseball yep. in MLB history as possible. And uh, I became very interested in, in doing that kind of stuff. And uh, I've written a number of articles for the Bio Project, they call it. Yeah. And uh, one thing that's kind of an offshoot of, of that project was Saber started putting together books celebrating famous sports teams. Mm-hmm. Like they did a book on the 1967 Red Sox. They did a book on the 1947 Dodgers. 
that had won on the 1951 Giants. And in these books, what they would do is, for every player who played for that team in that year, there would be a full-length biography of that player's life. Right. And I put together a biography or a bio-project book about the 1959 White Sox, which was one of the favorite teams of my youth because I grew up in Chicago with the White Sox. And, the Go-Go Sox. And, uh, right. and uh, that was, it was really a labor of love. And we're actually uh, redoing a uh, updated edition of the book for this year because it's the 60th right. anniversary of that team. Uh, we've updated some of the articles. We've added new articles. Uh, and uh, that will be out sometime this year. It's, it doesn't really make me much, if any, money, but it's it's a wonderful thing to be involved in. And, you know, I, I encourage anybody who's really a lover of baseball to check out Saber and consider becoming a member. It's a great organization. Well, it, th- those bios have increase my enjoyment of my replay more than you could understand because it's just, you know, that when you're doing a full season replay, you got a lot of games and, you, and there's players that, you know, I grew up, you know, I was eight years old. I'm doing a replay in 1964. I was eight years old. And I remember most of the names, but there are some guys I don't know a whole lot about them, but you can go to the, to the, uh, to the Sabre project and, and the bio project and, and look these guys up, and I'm telling you, it is it has meant the world to me, uh, as far as really getting full enjoyment from my replay. So I thank you and all the guys who who really put together those bios uh, for making you know uh, that so much more enjoyable. So so thank you for that, and and I know that uh, you know you said you 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 uh, uh, were involved in the the 1959. Uh, Go Go Sox uh, project and uh, must have broke your heart when they lost in that seven game World Series to the Dodgers. That had to be tough for you and you, you and your dad probably. Yeah, it really was. They, you know, they won the first game eleven to nothing. Eleven nothing. Yeah. And we thought, yeah, we thought it's in the bag, but uh, it didn't work out that way. Yeah. And it, it was it was frustrating because. We thought the Dodgers really weren't that good. Right. Well, they had um, finished in seventh you know, place. It could happen in a short series. Yeah, they had finished in seventh place the year before, I think. If I'm yeah, not that's mistaken. That's exactly right. Yeah. And even in the, in the 59th season, uh, they won the National League pennant, but they needed a playoff against Milwaukee to win it. Right. And their total of wins during the regular season was, was one of the lowest for a team that won a pennant yeah. in the era of 154 games. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. We were, yeah, it was, it was, it was a big disappointment. But uh, if you're going to be a baseball fan, you have to put up with you got to put up. <laughs> yeah, you got you got to put up with some along the way. Um, uh, you you were you were mentioning your work with the with the Appa Journal um, and 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 your writing there. You got involved with the, with that whole group, Howard Oshkog. I know was one of the guys I think that you were familiar with during those years. Am I right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I actually met Howard at a Sabre convention. Oh, cool. Uh, okay. I, think it was, I think it was in uh, Providence, Rhode Island uh-huh. in, about, in about 1984. And uh, I knew him as the editor of the journal, but I, at that point I, I hadn't done any writing for him mm-hmm. and uh, sat down with him and, and asked him if, he was interested in having me continue with the articles 
that I had written in, in, in the past about um, the history of the seasons for the card sets that Apple was coming out with. And really, I, I did that with them for a number of years yeah. going forward. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. you had a lot of, of experience uh, with the Apple community, some of the, the higher-ups say as well. Because I, I, I was telling you when we talked last night that, um, I subscribe to the Apple Journal. I got them laying around my house somewhere, and I'm gonna. I, one of these days, I'm gonna go go search them out. Uh, let's talk about the project you're involved with now, and really something that's going to be coming up that you're very excited about. You authored uh, a book about the late great broadcaster Harry Carey. Talk to us about this project and and when it's going to come out and what's what it all involves. Well, I retired from stats in 2016. Okay. And uh, I was interested in continuing to write. Uh, so I started doing more of the Sabre articles that we talked about. Mm -hmm. But I was also interested in putting together a book. And uh, at one of the Sabre conventions, I ran into uh, one of the representatives from a publishing company that puts together a lot of sports books. The publisher is called Roman and Littlefield. And uh, the woman who was the rep from the company knew my name from the work that I had done through Stats. Mm -hmm. And she asked me if there were any projects that I was working on or interested in working on. And uh, I had this idea in my head for a few years to write something about Harry because, in particular, uh, being a Chicagoan, yeah. I was there during the years that Harry worked for the White Sox sure. for 11 years and then went to the Cubs. Right. And I, I was, in particular, fascinated by the impact that his move from the White Sox to the Cubs had on both franchises. Mm -hmm. So originally my idea was, was to put together a book called Harry Moves North. Right. And it was, it was basically going to be about Harry's history in Chicago and how it affected the impact, how the impact of the move affected both franchises. Right. Uh, but the publisher said, you know, why don't you tell us the whole story of his life? So uh, I agreed to that and spent close to a year doing research. I was lucky because having worked in broadcasting, I, I knew some people in broadcasting who could help me with interviews and things like that. Right. Like I was able to talk to Tim McCarver I was able to talk to Bob Costas. I was able to talk to Len Casper, who's the comes play by play man. I was able to talk to a lot of the broadcasters that Harry had worked with, like Tom Brenneman and Dwayne Stats and Pat Hughes. Uh, I was able to talk to writers who had covered Harry uh, during the years that he was broadcasting. And uh, so I was able to, to do a lot of, I thought, pretty effective research. Uh, the St. Louis years were a little bit harder because he actually started in, in the late 1940s. Right. Um, for that, I, I did a lot of newspaper research and talked to as many people who knew Harry's history as I could and put it together that way. And uh, the book is called The Legendary Harry Carey, Baseball's Greatest Salesman, uh, and it's going to be published in April, and I'm really looking forward to that. Wow, that's uh, that is something to look forward to. Now, is that going to uh, come out uh, in ebook fashion as well, or audiobook by any chance? Because I I only I only listen to books now. I don't read books anymore. You know, I'm I'm not sure what the publisher's plans are for for ebooks or audiobooks. 
Um, it is available for pre-order on Amazon, but only in print form. Right. So uh, we'll have to see if it's popular. It, it may come out in, in both other forms as well. Well, I, I was, I was. Well, a I big... could, I could just read the book to you over the phone. <laughs> yeah, I'll call you once it. a week, and well, we can do it. We can do a chapter a night. We'll have a book reading. We could do a. We could do the uh, <laughs> special edition podcast. Don Zaminda reads. Reads about Harry Carey. Oh, that that would that would be fun. Harry Carey bedtime story. <laughs> Harry Carey didn't sleep, from what I understand. He he was up a, a long time at night. He was the last one to leave the bars. But uh, that'll that'll be a, a very. What was the most interesting part? Or the, uh, t t tell me one thing about Harry Carey that you found out doing your research for this book that you didn't know. Well, I'll tell you one thing that was really interesting was when Harry moved from the White Sox to the Cubs, the Chicago Tribune took a survey from, for White Sox fans and Cubs fans mm -hmm. and just asked people what they felt about the move and how it would affect their fandom as a Cubs fan or a White Sox fan. Mm -hmm. And what really floored me in this survey was about 40% of the people who identified themselves as White Sox fans, who were also big Harry fans, said, I want to become a Cub fan now. <laughs> and they were, they were Harry fans more yeah. than they were White Sox fans. Yeah. And, um, you know, I think probably there was, you know, it wasn't a scientific survey. And there were obvious some biases in, in how the data was gathered. But if you look at what happened, uh, I'll tell you, in, in the work that I did, um, when Harry was with the White Sox, the Cubs were always a little bit more popular than, than, the, than the White Sox were in Chicago. Mm -hmm. But after he moved north, it was never the same. Yeah, there was no, no contest. The Cubs became unquestionably the number one team in town. Yeah. And every year that he was there, it seemed like they became more popular and the White Sox became even a little less popular. And even when both teams were good, the Cubs would not try the White Sox. Um, and baseball in Chicago really has never been the same. Yeah, that, that's it's really amazing how a broadcaster, uh, radio or TV, uh, back in the day, radio obviously more than TV, but can really just grab the interest of the listener and make them a fan of that team. And then when, like you said, Harry left to go cross town, I mean, you talk about some pretty hardcore fans in Chicago, and, and, and I know my daughter lived there for 10 years, and you're either a White Sox fan or you're a Cub fan. There's no in-between. So, you know, and for guys and for followers of the White Sox to follow Harry to the north side, it's amazing the kind of impact he had on those fans. And it, it's really true. And, and, also, and the bigger thing that Harry did was the Cubs became a national team because right. of Harry, Harry's broadcast on WGN, which yeah. went out to the whole nation. Yeah. You know, a new thing in, in uh, broadcasting at the time was the Superstations. Right. The Braves had TBS in Atlanta. And WGN broadcast the whole country in the early days of cable. Yeah. And Harry really became a national celebrity um, and became much more popular than he had ever been in his entire life. And 
Yeah. You know, he, he was a legend. Yeah, I, and I remember. I mean, I'm I'm from Cincinnati, been Cincinnati born and and, and raised, and and I, when GN and TBS uh, uh, came out, um, I was watching GN because you know I got home early enough that I could see the Cubs games that were on during the day, and I became a Cubs fan. And that was where the years where the Cubs were really bad until they broke through in '84, and it, it was it was such a great time. Um, for really baseball during that era and, and the exposure that Harry gave to the Chicago Cubs. I, I don't think they could ever uh, repay him for uh, uh, the amount of, of uh, the popularity that the Cubs got when he was announcing. He was just great. Not the greatest nuts and bolts broadcaster, but a guy that could draw you into the game. Oh, that's exactly right. And he, what he brought to a broadcast was the excitement yeah. of being there. Yeah. And uh, there, there really was nobody like him. But one of the fascinating things that I found out in doing the research for the book was how big an impact he had on popularizing the Cardinals in the late 1940s. Mm. Because back then, it was in the early days, it was radio only. But when he started with the Cardinals in 1945 and 1946, they had a small network of stations in the, in the Midwest. And in the first 10 years that he broadcast games for the Cardinals, that network just exploded. Mm-hmm. And by the, mid, by the mid-1950s, the Cardinals had a network of over 100 stations that were broadcasting Cardinals games. The next most popular team was the Milwaukee Braves. We had about 40 stations in their network. Yeah, I mean that, that was how, and really Harry was responsible for that. Yeah, and and that's when Harry was really. I mean, he was a true broadcast. I mean, the stuff he did later with broadcasting from the bleachers at Wrigley, and and you know his his homerish type of announcing, which you, either people love or hate. I don't think you could hate Harry. You had to love the way he he produced it. But back in the forties with the Cardinals, he was a true outstanding broadcaster and so he he really could do it all and and, and the the uh, the title of the book i think talking about how great of a salesman he was that's perfectly written it's true yes you know one thing that that uh pete van Aken, who was a, a good friend of harry's and a minor league owner mentioned that i think was really true was that when baseball had the strike in 94 and then the season started late in 95. Mm-hmm. Um, that really did a lot of damage to the game. And it took people, a lot of people, yeah. years to come back to baseball. Absolutely. But during that time, Harry worked nonstop to keep talking baseball, not just during the season, but during the off season with Cubs conventions and Cubs yeah. caravans yeah. and getting people to come out to the ballpark and getting people to follow the game. The game isn't about the players and owners, it's about the fans. Harry preached that nonstop, and it really helped people come back to the game. He was a wonderful ambassador for baseball, and he helped the game keep going during some pretty bleak periods. Well, I can't wait for this book to come out. Mention the title one more time for folks out there that want to be looking it up. It's called The Legendary Harry Carey, Baseball's Greatest Salesman. And you're saying it should come out around April, right? April 12th is the projected publication date. 
Well, I may even get back in. I may even get back into reading, Don. Either that, or, or, or I'll call you up and you can read me a chapter a week. Have a, that'll be fine too. You just let me know, Sam. <laughs> well, and I'll tell you something else. I'm going to do, and I think everybody should. You mentioned Saber. What a great job they do. I'm going to look into it. I think I'm going to join because I I, I love it. Um, and if I can contribute in any way, because I love to write and 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 I I would love to do some research for them if possible. But I think folks out there that enjoy uh, things like baseball research, the the site there, and you can you know find a lot of things from Saber on there. I think it is a great organization, and uh, and I think it's something that's worthwhile looking into. Yeah, if you do nothing else but check out the website and the publications, yeah, it's worth the membership. But in a lot of cities, uh, including Cincinnati, I believe Saber has a regional chapter. And these regional chapters have meetings several times a year, and those meetings are just fantastic to go to. Uh, you know, it's just a, a small convention of people to talk about the game. People give research presentations, uh, and it, it's a wonderful way to make baseball fun. Well, Don, you certainly inspired me. I, I, I'm going to look into all of that. Um, are you still a White Sox fan? I know you live in L.A., but are you still a Sox fan? Yeah, I, you know, I, I, I've kind of adopted the Dodgers yeah. as my number two team because I live in the area. Yeah. And also, you know, we actually, when I worked for Stats, uh, the Dodger and local broadcasts were part of our network of clients. Oh, yeah. uh, and I actually got to know Vin Scully a little bit. Oh, and he is, he's as wonderful a man as, as you would think from just seeing him and hearing him talk. Yeah. Um, he, he's, he's just a beautiful human being. And, and it, was, it was such a treat working for him and working on the broadcast that that kind of helped me become a Dodger fan out here. Yeah. And actually last year, uh, when the Dodgers were in the World Series, I went to, I actually went to a World Series game for the first time in my life. Yeah. And uh, even though the Dodgers lost, that was that was such a thrill. I was, I was so happy to do that. Wow, that is great. Yeah, there will never be another Vince Scully, no question about it. But uh, I'll tell you, this, this has been a, a, a fantastic uh, 40 minutes. I mean, I really enjoyed the conversation. I enjoyed your stories. Very interesting and entertaining. Uh, we'll all be looking for the Harry Carey book coming out. And, Don, once again, thanks for your bios on, on Sabre because I really enjoyed for my replays. And uh, we're going to have to have you on again. If you see any stars tonight at dinner, you let me know. Send me a text or an email, whatever it takes. But I'd, I'd like to know who's in it. for sure, Jack. All right, buddy. Don, thanks again. Appreciate it. Thank you. Well, that was Don Zaminda. If you need him, I'll tell you what. I've been doing this podcast for a little bit over a year now. And I believe this is my uh, 58th podcast that I put up. That interview with Don Zaminda ranks up easily in the top five. And, and he is going to be a guy that I, I will look forward to having on again uh, if he will grace our podcast uh, at another time. Uh, just some great stories. Uh, uh, a, a guy who who kind of uh, touches some of the interest that I have in broadcasting. He knows a lot of the broadcasters. Um, and of course, uh, his work at Sabre uh, with Stats Inc. I'm a huge stats guy. And then this book coming out, The Legendary Harry Carey, Baseball's Greatest Salesman. Uh, I'm definitely going to buy that book. Uh, 
I may have Don read it to me if 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 he if he wants to, but uh, um, that's coming out April twelfth. That's the release date, so certainly try to look that up. But uh, again, my thanks to to Don Zaminda. Uh, great job on the podcast, and uh, I hope you enjoyed it uh, half as much as I did. All right, we're going to take one final break. I'll come back to wrap things up, and uh, we will put this new podcast on anchor. Uh, to bed for at least the time being. So stick around for the wrap-up. I'm John Aslan, your host, and we'll be right back. And we are back for our final segment on this week's This Week's in APA podcast. Uh, John Aslan back here to... uh, Say farewell, but uh, before we do, want to uh, check out a few things on the uh, APA Games uh, newsletter, which comes out every Tuesday. And if you don't subscribe, you need to. Uh, you just go to the uh, customer service uh, email. That's C-U-S-T-S-U-P-P at appagames.com. Uh, get on the mailing list and they'll email you out uh, a uh, newsletter a uh, uh, online newsletter every Tuesday and uh, uh, some good things are always in the newsletter and just as an example uh, there's uh, updates from tournaments that are upcoming and tournaments that were played and and uh, one tournament uh, that was finished uh, on the weekend of February 23rd in Chattanooga, Tennessee, was the inaugural 2019 APA Scenic City Shootout, which was held at the Embassy Suites in Chattanooga. Uh, there were 16 participants uh, divided into four divisions, and the champion of the tournament, the first ever 2019, or the first ever APA Scenic City Shootout, was Charlie Fouché. Congratulations to Charlie. He won it with the 1931 Homestead Grays. How about that? So congratulations to Charlie and uh, all who uh, put on the event. Uh, A great job there. Mike uh, Kerr is one of the guys uh, who took care of that tournament. Uh, and, And a great job by everybody who was associated with that. And once again, uh, congratulations to Charlie. And Charlie, we hope your health is getting better and, and we'll be praying for you. Uh, the next scheduled tournament is a huge one, the 2019 Greater Michigan Apple Baseball Tournament in Jackson, Michigan. That'll be held, yes, ladies and gentlemen, held this weekend. Uh, the tournament theme is MLB teams from 1940 to 1968. And pitchers will hit in this tournament. Um, I'm not sure if there are any openings uh, left, but uh, if you want to find out more information, contact Pastor Rich Zawatsky. We've had him on the program before. Great guy. And you can reach him at Pastor, uh, well, let's do it this way, P-A-S-T-O-R-I-C-H-Z, Pastor Rich Z at gmail.com. And uh, that's, it's, it's a huge, huge tournament. I know there are a lot of participa- uh, participants in this one. And uh, if uh, he still needs more, uh, you can get in by contacting uh, Pastor Rich. Uh, also, I'm seeing here that the fourth annual APA Convention Hockey Tournament 
uh, is going to be going on uh, during the uh, uh, the convention uh, this coming June. That's uh, June 20 to 23. Don't forget it. Never too early to get your reservations. And if for no other reason, I'll be there. Come on now. It'll be my first trip to an Apple convention. Uh, me and uh, sometimes co-host Ken Kraft are going to make the trip to Alpharetta. Can't wait for that. And of course, uh, if you want to get involved in uh, any of the tournaments, uh, certainly check in and you can get a lot of information from the APA newsletter uh, that I'm reading from right now. But uh, if you want to uh, sign up for the hockey tournament and try to unseat Greg Wells, the two-time reigning champion, uh, you can get in. Uh, by uh, qualifying and 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 uh, getting signed up, uh, and here's how you do it: uh, sign up is now open and will close at midnight on March 17th. So you've got uh, a little less than three weeks. Uh, you enter by sending an email with the subject line "Hockey Tournament Entry," in, all in caps. That's Hockey Tournament Entry to that. Email I told you about before to get on the newsletter, CustSup, that's C-U-S-T-S-U-P-P at appagames.com. Please include your name, email address, and three team selections. Uh, and please clearly indicate your first, second, and third choice in order. Uh, to and be sure to identify not only the team but the season as well. So that's always a fun thing from what I understand. The hockey tournament is big. Uh, I'll certainly will be monitoring all the things going on there at the APA convention. And with this new podcast model, we'll be able to do some live feeds from there. Can't wait for that. So uh, again, uh, if you don't get the APA newsletter, uh, get on board. Uh, just send an email to C-U-S-T-S-U-P-P at appagames.com. Sign up, get on the newsletter, and you wouldn't have to listen to me read all of the information on there. I want to say hello to our new APA community members, Dan Butler from Gallatin, Tennessee, Joshua Augustine from Elmira, New York, Matt Bluer is from La Jolla, California, Carl Jacob from Sandwich, Massachusetts. I'm hungry already. Brent Valor hails from West Coven, California. From Magnolia, Texas, it's Virginia Barrett, uh, one of our new community members. Scott Manzer from Attleboro, Massachusetts, also a new member to the APA community, as well as Chuck Harkins from Sewell, New Jersey. Jeremy Smith from Clawson, Michigan. And last but not least, Perry Stoner from Lincoln, Nebraska. Uh, welcome to all those folks. Uh, we hope you will uh, be longtime members of the APA community and also listen to the podcast, which will be on Anchor. And uh, when you uh, will get this uh, information through the Facebook page, uh, click on it, sign up, and you can uh, be involved. There's a lot of things uh, that we can do that we weren't able to do with Ustream. Uh, read about it. And uh, we'll uh, uh, continue to tell you uh, more and more about the uh, new and interesting ways that you, too, can participate uh, on this new uh, website uh, format or this new podcast format 
uh, on Anchor. Want to once again thank my guest for this week, Don Zaminda. Don did a great job. Hope you enjoy uh, the interview with him. Uh, next week, we'll have a brand new one. And uh, we'll come up with a guest and be on the air. And we'll let you know when that will be as soon as we finalize uh, our guest and the interview. Thanks to all the listeners out there. Again, thanks for being patient uh, with us coming up with this uh, new platform to broadcast from. Uh, we hope you enjoy it. And uh, uh, we will certainly look forward to uh, hearing from you uh, and sometimes even during the podcast. Can't wait for that. So until next time, this is John Aslan saying so long. Continue rolling those 66s if you can. And we'll see you next time on This Week in Apple.